Well, good morning. My name is Rich, and uh, I have the privilege of serving here as a family ministry pastor. I love, I got goosebumps right now. Okay, I'll be honest with you. Uh, a little over a year and a half ago, I stepped out of the student ministries uh, where I invested a lot of my time and energy, and I loved on a lot of these kids. And when you love on somebody and you hand them off to somebody, you know, you're, you're kind of concerned. And when he came on board, I was a little worried because he's a little weird. Okay. <laughs> But man, I love that kid. And I couldn't, if I'll try not to go into tears, I couldn't ask to hand everything off to a kid that loves our kids as much as Reed and Ariel do. I am really grateful that he's a part of our team, as you should be as well. And we have a whole group of uh, you, uh, heroes, we call them in our kids' era, that give time and energy for your kids. If you want to be a part of our family ministry team, uh, as a volunteer leader, come see me, come see Reed, stop by the Start Here desk. We'd love to get you uh, connected because it will change your life. If you're a first-time guest here this morning, I want to say thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us. Um, here's the thing. We're in a series that we started uh, a few weeks ago, maybe five or six weeks ago, called Texting God. And this morning, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to pray when you've done something wrong. So think about that for a minute. <laughs> Has anybody in, in here ever done anything wrong? <laughs> Come on. That's it. Look at look, I love this. I did. I did. All right. Watch the hands start to go down now. Have you ever done anything wrong? In other words, have you made a bad decision, a bad choice? You knew it was wrong. But you did it anyway. Example, uh, I worked for Wiseway Foods for many years. I was a meat market meat manager. I ran a department. And uh, one day, um, I went to get dressed for work, and all my khakis were dirty. And I realized, okay, i got to go to work. I grabbed the classiest, cleanest-looking pair of jeans that I had, slipped them on, and went to work. Now, just like many organizations, Wiseway had a dress code, and I was totally breaking the rules. And I walked in, and what you have to understand is when you walk in in the morning, you're pretty much wiped out from the day before from all the business. And this particular day, we had an ice storm, and our counter was completely wiped out. The whole meat department was, there was like hardly no meat in the counter. People were coming in late. I came in late, wearing jeans. Store manager walks up to me and says, Rich, you have to go home. I said, you're seriously, right? Yeah, you do. You have to go home. You broke a rule. You've got jeans on. Jeans are not part of the dress code. I'm like, okay, listen, Tony. Look at the counter. It's wiped out. It, it's going to take hours to get the business going. I don't care. You need to go home. And I went home. And I went home stopping mad and angry. How could she do that? How could she send me home? I care about the business. I reflected on it. You know what I realized? I hurt some people with that one small infraction. My family, I lost a day's wages. My coworkers. I made their work harder that day than it had ever been. I cost the company money because it took them longer to get the counter and the department ready for the day than it would have if I would have been there. And here's the other thing I had to keep in mind. If I came into work again or again with jeans on, it would have cost me my job. So let's take this a step further. Have you ever done anything wrong that you knew was wrong, you wanted to do it, but eventually after you did it, you realized that you hurt somebody emotionally, maybe even physically? Maybe even spiritually, but yet you still did it. Maybe it was a coworker, 
a close friend, a family member, even your spouse. See, here's what I know about life and here's what I know about my own life. It's really easy to confess our small infractions, to admit when we're wrong. But when they're a little deeper, I mean, depending on the severity of the offense, we may not be so apt to confess. In fact, we're, in, we're so afraid of hurting somebody, we may even try to cover it up and add more deceit to it, thinking that maybe we might be able to control the outcome. Maybe it'll eventually just go away and no one will notice. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about how prayer provides us a way to confess our wrongs so that we can move towards hope and healing and restoration in our lives. So I want to invite you to stand with me as we read from Psalms 51. It's a psalm written by King David. It's one of my favorite psalms. It's on the back of your weekly. If you want to follow along with me, I'll have it on the screen behind me. David writes, Have mercy on me, O God. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain from my guilt. Create in me a, heart, a, pure, a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Read that with me again, will you please? Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of salvation and make me willing to obey you. A little further down in verse 17. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You do not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Read that along with me again. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O Lord. You may be seated. Well, we break broken up our this series, texting God, and we in a format to where we wanted to explain what prayer isn't, what prayer is. We want to give you a tool, and then we've been looking into the Psalms because the Psalms are a way of, of looking at prayer differently. You know, in the Bible, uh, the disciples went up to Jesus and they asked Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. And we all know he taught them the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who out in heaven. Well, did you realize that the Psalms are another way to learn how to pray? I didn't, I, as I was thinking about this week preparing, I thought, man, the Psalms are another way to learn how to pray. And, and here's what I know. Here's what prayer isn't for me. Okay, and Scott shared with this a couple weeks ago, but I'm gonna, I, I think it's important because it meant the world to me. It's not a formula that you have to repeat. In other words, when I first became a Christian, and I were around, around Christians who had been, I would consider more mature than me, um, if you've ever been in a room with me, you would know I love to talk. <laughs> okay, see, you do, you know that, okay? It's hard to keep me quiet. But when I first became a Christian, I'll just ignore that. <laughs> this morning's message is for you. Okay? But here's the deal. I used to sit silently and listen, maybe this is you, to the words that they were saying, thinking maybe I need to say that word. Maybe I need to say it this way. And, and here's what I know. I came across a passage, Matthew 6, verse 7, 
and Jesus says this, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. You know what? It's not necessarily the words that you say. Your words are important. It's not the amount of words that you say. Here's what I learned. It's the intent of your heart. That's what I used to teach to teenagers all the time. You know, God cares about what you say, but he cares more about your heart. So here's the other thing. Prayer is for me. And I, this has been a harder one for me to learn, especially in, with relationships. Prayer is talking and listening. You see, relationships improve when you learn to talk and listen better. I mean, isn't that how a relationship grows? A uh, passage from the Old Testament, Moses, as he's leading the Israelites, uh, they set up the tent of meeting, and um, Exodus 33:11 says this. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Now think about that. How awesome would that be? You could just have a conversation with God, the creator of everything, as a friend. That forever changed my outlook of prayer. I started having conversations about God with everything like I would a friend. Let me, let me put it to you this way. Here's a tool that I want to give you. And, and, and I'm going to add this to Scott's four that we gave you um, over the last few weeks. But here's one that I think is really important. I think some of us do it to an extent, but I'm going to take it a step further. Here's a tool for you. Last week, Scott said that some people struggle with prayer because it's like a dial-up connection. I don't know whatever sound he made last week. I'm not going to try to do that, okay? Um, but it's not like a dial-up connection where it's on or off. It's a, a fiber optic connection. It's always going. That's what we talked about last week. Well, this morning, the tool I want to give you that I think it's important to pray with others, okay? Matthew 18 says this, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Now, I have no problems praying with people. People will say, well, that's easy for you. You're a pastor. Well, you know what? Um, sure, you can go that route, but I'm a man just like you, just like many of you in this room. I'm, I'm, I'm human, and, and I pray with people, and I pray for people, and I pray with friends. But there was one person in my life that I refused to pray with. So don't throw any of these stones at me when I say this, okay? But my wife came to me a few years ago and said, honey, we need to pray more often. And I thought, no way! Don't you understand, my time with God, when I go to my space, is between me and God. It's an intimate moment. Why would I invite you into that? Then I read this passage, and I thought, oh, baby, maybe I'm missing something. So for the last two years, my wife and I, more often than not, will gather together after I've had my time with God. We'll hold each other's hands, and we'll pray together. Sometimes I pray. Sometimes she prays. But we pray about our family. We pray about our kids. We pray about the decisions that we're going to have to make that day together. You know what's really cool? It's really awesome to know that someone is in my corner throughout the day that I knew someone prayed for me. And every now and then, I'll get a text message from her. Hey, honey, I'm still praying for you, and I love you. So I want to invite you to, into that opportunity with your spouse, with a friend, a close friend, because I think it's, it's, I think it's vital. Your relationship will change. Well, in this psalm, Psalms 51, because we've been looking into the psalms, and, and Scott asked me, he said, you know, do, can you pr uh, preach on the 30th? I'm like, absolutely. I said, um, I'm going to do Psalms 51. I love that psalm. Okay, here's what I know about speaking from the platform. God first takes the psalm and breaks you before it affects anyone that you're speaking to. And this was a rough week, because this week I started the week on my head. Literally. I was up on the student's area, and I fell over my desk, backwards, over a chair, 
banged my head off the concrete, ended up at Holbrook St. Mary Emergency Room, and had a mild concussion. Nobody in the room was in the room but Reed. Man, that looked bad. Let's go to the hospital. And you know what's amazing is? I sat down this morning, and this gentleman says, how's your head? Now everybody knows. Reed was the only one in the room. See, here, here's what Psalm 51 is about. My week started rough, and it's been, it's been, it, 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 this psalm really worked me. And here's what I want to tell you. Some say confession is good for the soul. And, and Psalms 51 is considered a petitional psalm. It's a prayer of confession. It was written by King David. You realize that there are six total potential psalms in the Bible. The other ones are Psalm 6, Psalms 32, Psalms 38, Psalms 102, Psalms 130, and Psalms 143. See, all of these psalms are helpful for us to go to if we're looking for guidance on how to confess and open up to God. You know, especially if there's sin in our lives from some of the decisions that we've made so that we can draw closer to him. I, I've heard many people say to me, you know, I, God seems distant to me. Maybe God isn't distant from you. Maybe you're distant from God. Okay? See, these uh, petitional psalms were written by writers who were being disciplined by God for the sins that they had committed or the, for, uh, and they were suffering that, and they were experiencing that. All that exp all for, for the decisions, that the, the wrongs they made, the choices that, they, that went against what the Lord wanted for them. And perhaps no one in Scripture learned more of a humbling experience about the importance of confession than David. So I want to give you a little background on Psalms 51 to set it up for you so you better understand it and why David wrote this psalm. You see, God sought out David to be Israel's king after King Saul had filled miserably. And in 1 Samuel 16, which you'll find in the Old Testament, tells the story of how God led Samuel, a, a prophet, to anoint a young boy named David. I mean, David was young and inexperienced, but it didn't take long for people to realize that he was up for the job. He was a violent soldier, a beloved military leader. And over time, he would be remembered, even today, as one of Israel's greatest kings ever. According to Acts 13.22, it says this, After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Can you imagine how awesome that is? And he will do everything that I want him to do. But if you look at David's life, that wasn't always the case with King David. Even in all of his greatness, David filled miserably as a king. He filled miserably as a man after God's own heart. Which leads us to 2 Samuel 11. See, in this passage, I think, is one of perhaps one of David's greatest failures of not only as a king, but as a man after God's own heart. See, why his soldiers were away fighting a battle where he should have been, but he chose to take a vacation. They were off fighting. One afternoon, he was out for a walk on top of the palace. Now, let me explain this. The palace was the biggest building in the city. You could overlook and see everything. And David was up there walking for a mid-afternoon a mid walk, and he looked over, and he saw a woman bathing. You know where this is going. And he lusts for her. He summons her to the palace, finds out who she is, commits adultery with Bathsheba. Not only is Bathsheba married, she's married to one of David's soldiers who is actually away at the very battle that he should be at. His name was Uriah. 
No harm, no foul. Unfortunately, Bathsheba comes back to David and said, David, I'm pregnant. Yeah, uh-huh. And you know what he says? Oh, man, I messed up. I shouldn't have. That's not what he said. What he did was tried to cover it up even more. He sent for Uriah to come home from the war, brought him to the palace, spent the evening with him, and said, Uriah, how's the battle going? Man, you deserve a break today. Go home. Spend some quality time with your wife. And then come see me tomorrow. Uriah goes out and sleeps on the steps of the palace. The king finds out, calls him back in the night. Oh, Uriah, let's, let's drink up the night. So they drink, and he gets, him, he gets him drunk. And he says, go home, spend some quality time with your wife. He sleeps on the palace steps again. Think about this. Uriah is showing the very character that David should have been showing. David finds out, and he owns up to his, his problems, right? Wrong. He summons Uriah, go back to the war. Take this secret message with you. Give it to my, my commander, Joab, who's the leading commander of my, my, my forces. So he takes it to him. It's his death wish. Gives it to Joab. Joab reads it. Says, take the troops to the fiercest part of the battle. Put Uriah in the front. And then slowly pull back except for him. Well, you know what happens. Uriah is killed. Bathsheba mourns. Bathsheba mourns for the, her husband. After the mourning period is over, David swoops in, marries Bathsheba, all good, no harm, no foul, right? Wrong. Because the Lord was still not pleased with David's actions. So he sends Nathan, a prophet, to confront David. And in 2 Samuel 12, Nathan approaches David with this parable of this rich man who took and killed a poor man's little lamb, his only lamb. David had a whole flock, and he took this little lamb and he killed it to serve as a meal for a guest. And it didn't take long to realize that David said, oh my gosh, this story is about me. It's just, this is where Psalms 51 comes from. David recognizes that he really messed up. He hits rock bottom, and he realizes that the penalty for all these choices, all these bad decisions, all this cover-up, is far more than he can handle anymore. And he breaks and he goes to the Lord and he cries out to the Lord in prayer. And here's the deal. I have to wonder if at one time or another we've done the very same thing. Maybe we didn't literally commit murder like David did. But I have to wonder if we've done it in other ways in our lives. Such as gossip, slander, Stealing, <coughs> substance abuse, pornography, maybe even adultery. See, if you know one thing about all these things, they have one thing in common. They create hurt and pain, and they break relationships. For coworkers, close friends, family members, maybe even a spouse, maybe even your relationship with God. See, prayer is a great way for us to come clean with our issues. You know, the ones that we are so, the ones that are so hard for us to overcome. Maybe even the ones that we're trying to keep hidden. See, these words of this psalm are such a powerful example of how David pleads with the Lord for mercy. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out my stain of my sins, O Lord. Wash me clean from guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. 
It haunts me day and night. Oh, Lord, against you and you alone have I done, have I sinned. I've done what evil in your sight. For I was born a sinner. From my mother's womb, you expected honesty. I knew right from wrong, but yet I still made these decisions, O oh Lord. Purify me, Lord, so I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. See, what you have to understand is what dirt is to the body, sin is to the inner person. It, it, it makes perfect sense why David felt dirty on the inside, because of all that he was doing on the outside with his life. It was clear that David had missed the mark with God and failed miserably. He disobeyed, through, he disobeyed God through his continual deceit, cover-up, lies. And we need to understand that David is really not alone in this. I mean, he's not the only one that's making poor decisions, bad choices in our lives. 1 John 3, 4 says, Everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for sin is contrary to the law of God. Romans 3, 23, I'll put up on the screen. For we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, here's what I want you to understand. I'm not here to, to, to beat up on you this morning. What I'm here to say is, what does this prayer look like for us? We need to understand that no matter how much we fail, how far we fell short of God, no matter how far we've gone down, we can still look up like David did. We can see God's mercy, God's grace, and his love. David pleads, blot out my sins, wash me, cleanse me, purify me from my guilt. See, we always talk about baptism as a way of taking off the old garment and putting on a new. And that's what David was doing in this psalm. He was saying, God, I need a fresh start. I want the old to go away. I need a new beginning. And only you can do that for me, O Lord. You see, because of the weight that David was feeling, it was weighing him down. It was tearing him up. It was eating him on the inside out. Emotionally, he was a wreck. How do we know that? Verse 3 says, his rebellion against God was haunting him day and night. Could you imagine carrying that? And maybe some of us are. You see, if we don't learn to come clean, if we don't own up, the guilt, will, the guilt will eventually weigh us down, and not only physically, not only emotionally, but even spiritually. Guilt will always get the better of us. My dad used to tell us when we were growing up, he says, listen, kids, if you don't admit when you're wrong, the guilt will eat you from the inside out. It will weigh you down. It will keep you from moving forward. Not only will it hurt you, but it will hurt the ones you love the most, and it will hurt me as well. And we can't forget the fact that David hurt Bathsheba and Uriah. Uriah lost his life. But what we learn in this psalm is that David was totally responsible to the Lord. The Lord was the one that put him in the position as the leader. I want to be perfectly clear about something. I don't want you to walk out of here with a false delusion thinking, okay, I just have to simply play, pray, everything's going to go away. That's, no, it doesn't work that way. There will always be consequences for the choices that we've made. They don't just magically go away simply because we pray, but like David, we have to learn to deal with them. But we can stop the pattern in our life from continuing. I used to tell my kids, my boys, I used to say, hey guys, listen, go to school today, make good choices. Now, if you decide not to make the right choice, which you probably will, and you do something wrong, I want you to come home and tell me. Even if it's wrong. And there, yeah, there will be consequences, but I'd rather you be honest with me. Now, if I find out, because parents always find out, that you did something wrong and you did not tell me, not only will there be consequences, 
it's going to hurt me, son. It's going to erode our trust. And we're going to have to work really hard on that relationship to get it back to where it's at. What I love about this prayer is that David was honest. And even though he had fallen short, David shows us what true confession looks like. He <laughs> says this, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. In other words, we can't be afraid. We just can't be afraid. We just can't keep carrying it. We've got to lay it down. We've got to own it. We've got to let God know where we are with the stuff in our lives. I mean, if you want to start the healing process, if you want to bring restoration, just like guilt starts from the inside and works its way out, restoration starts with your heart. Remember, it's not necessarily the words that you say. It's the intent of your heart. See, when you do that, God's going to challenge you on the back end of this. Be ready. Because he's going to challenge you to not only restore and repair your relationship with him, he's going to have you go back and make amends with the those that you've hurt along the way, with the choices and the decisions that you've made. Is it going to be easy? No. It's never easy to admit when we've done something wrong. It never is to say, you know what, I messed up. Especially when, when, we can, when we're right next to them and we love them. It's hard to own up. But here's what I do know. If you're willing to do that with time, grace, and a lot of work on your part, it will bring freedom beyond anything you can imagine. Psalms 32 is another one of these peti petitional psalms. They consider it a parallel passage to Psalms 51 because David wrote this. Verses 5 through 8 says this. Finally, Lord, I confess my sins to you. And I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. And all my guilt is gone. Let me say that again. And the Lord forgave me. And all my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time. And we're going to do that in a moment. That they may not be drowned in the floodwaters of judgment. For, Lord, you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. And the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. I will guide you along the best pathways of your life. And I will advise you through prayer, through conversation, and I will watch over you. Let me sum this up with four little words that were shared with me. And if you don't remember anything I said this morning, don't forget this. You are not alone. You see, God promises to come alongside us in order to help us find the best pathway for our lives. And when we pray, and when we're open and honest, and we have a conversation, and we own it, God will advise us, and he will watch us, and he will walk with us through us. One of my favorite passages of the Bible, I put it on every graduation card that I've ever signed, is Psalms 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make your path straight. I'm going to invite Tim to come up right now. Now, for some of you this morning, you probably walked in here and didn't expect like David didn't expect Nathan to show up. Maybe, you, maybe you've made some, some decisions and they've not been good decisions this week. Maybe they're small, but they have the potential to have a snowball effect. 
And if you don't own them today, they could spiral you. Maybe there's someone in this room today who is spiraling out of control. And that's what I love about Psalms 51. At one of the worst times in my life, I turned to these words. I'm going to invite you now, every one of us, to turn to these words. And you, and you got in the back of your weekly, pray silently to God this prayer. And maybe you just need to confess, say, God, this is where I'm at right now. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what I've been doing. I'm going to give you a moment to do that. Father God, um, man, you know what? This psalm really hits my heart. Lord, I'm grateful for uh, the fact that I can turn to this psalm, that we all can, that my friends and I can come to you, God, this morning and just tell you that we're not, we're not doing it right, that we've missed the mark. God, I, I just pray um, for my friends here today that uh, if they're struggling or, or they're spiraling, oh God, I just pray that... Uh, May they just take that first step towards you this morning. That you just lead them, God, and, and give them the encouragement that, you know what, even though they're going to have to deal with the consequences, even though we're going to have to push through the things that we've done, that we are not alone in it. That through, your, through time and your grace and your love, that you will watch over us and you will guide us. So God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the fact that uh, we can come to you on a daily basis. And just admit to you, oh, Lord, I need you. So create in us this week, oh, God, a pure heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all my friends said, amen. I want to invite you to stand with me as I leave you with a blessing this morning. May you know 
the God that loves you beyond anything that you've ever done wrong, no matter how deep it is. He wants to welcome you back into his arms, and he wants to walk with you along, this way, on, along the way as you're sent to love God, to love people, and serve the world. In Jesus' name, you're dismissed. We'll be down front if you need prayer. Thank you.